Welcome to the Teaching Behavior Together podcast, where I provide you with actionable steps for making your classroom management plan effective by incorporating behavioral and social-emotional learning activities into your daily teaching. Hi, I'm Maria, and I have 10 years experience in the field of behavior analysis. In each episode, I will be providing you with effective and evidence-based strategies you can use to create a classroom environment you want to go to each morning. No longer will you be driving home in tears over the overwhelming feeling of trying to manage student behaviors. So sit back, listen up, and start seeing success. Welcome to this episode of the Teaching Behavior Together podcast. I am so glad you are here for our very first Q&A episode. I'm so excited to be doing episodes like this. I do plan on doing at least one a month. Hopefully, I'll be able to do one Q&A episode a month to answer your questions because I get questions all the time and it's really hard to answer those questions via Instagram message or something along those lines. I really like being able to talk about different behaviors and different strategies and interventions that you can use in your classroom. And it's just really hard to do that via a message. Plus, if you have questions about that, guaranteed other people have questions about that topic as well. And this lets me talk to the wide masses of people as opposed to just one person in a message. Although I'm always happy to answer your questions. I just always feel like if I could just sit down and talk about it, that I would have such a better answer for you. So that's why I thought doing monthly Q&A episodes would be helpful, hopefully helpful for you guys. So I've collected a couple of questions over the past month as well as asked over on Instagram for question ideas that you guys need answered. So let's get right into this episode. Oh, but first, really quickly, quick disclaimer, I probably will say this a couple of times, but a lot of these questions I do plan on doing an entire episode on because again, behavior is really complex and to really understand like the full well-rounded picture of a lot of interventions or strategies or concepts, it takes longer than a couple of minutes of just talking about it. But I did want to give you guys some answers to these questions, but just know that for some of them, I will be doing an entire episode on them. All right, back to the questions, or really just start the questions. So the first question I want to talk about is, my classroom management isn't working. What should I focus on first? I get questions about classroom management all the time because classroom management is really, really complex. And for new teachers or student teachers or somebody that is just starting out in the field of education, Typically, you only get one class on classroom management, and a lot of times classroom management classes focus on point systems or token reinforcement or something along those lines. And yes, that can be a component of your classroom management plan, but classroom management is so much more than just points, tokens, prizes for your students. It's a really a well-rounded approach to having systems and procedures in your classroom that allow your students to know the expectations and function within your classroom appropriately. With that being said, there is so much that goes into a good classroom management plan. And the very, very first thing that I would focus on is building relationships. And I know a lot of people say that and you hear it all the time is build relationships, build relationships, build relationships. And that's because it is so important. But it can also be overwhelming at the same time because we're never really taught how to build relationships with our students. And I know 
all of us in education, we love kids. We love being there for our students. So it just comes naturally to start to build relationships with students. But there are certain aspects of building relationships that do need to be intentional. So I do plan on doing an entire episode on how to build relationships that are intentional and meaningful and that will allow you to be successful with your classroom management plan. But that is the very first thing that I would focus on is building relationships with your students. Get to know them beyond test scores, beyond any type of academics the very first couple of days of school. I know that there's a lot of pressure to do standardized testing, identify where your students are at, group them certain ways, but really spending time, intentional time, getting to know them and their interests outside of academics will really help go a long way with your classroom management plan. At times I hear from teachers and get the feedback, they don't really understand why building relationships is so important with classroom management and how those two are really interlinked. The biggest connection I will say between classroom management and building relationships is that when you do have to address undesired behavior with a student, it helps so much if you've already have an established relationship with that student. Think about it this way, when a student is struggling with their behavior, it's more comforting when someone comes up to you, redirects you, or provides you with some support that you have a relationship with. It's really hard to take support or any type of redirection from someone you don't necessarily know or have a relationship with. So by building that really strong foundation of a relationship with your students, if you do need to redirect them in any way, that it will be better received coming from you as opposed to someone that they don't have a relationship with. Classroom management is so much more than just dealing with undesired behaviors in your classroom, but when it does come to dealing with undesired behaviors in your classroom, having relationships with your students is so key. Another aspect of classroom management that I would tell you to focus on would be your expectations. A lot of times teachers adopt the expectations that are in the building, and I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. I'm saying that you should define those expectations to what they mean to you and your classroom. A lot of times our expectations are constructs. So it's be responsible, be respectful, be kind, be a learner, something along those lines are expectations, and none of those things are very clear. My definition of being respectful is going to be different than your definition of being respectful. My definition of being kind is going to be different than your definition of being kind. And that's the same for all of our students. You are getting 25 students to all agree to what it means to be kind in this classroom by really sitting down and discussing the expectations and defining them as a class. So I would definitely take that as your second step in your classroom management plan is focusing on your expectations and making sure that the expectations are very clear. And what I mean by clear is that everyone is on the exact same page when it comes to those expectations. Going along those lines, make sure you're also spending time teaching those expectations explicitly over and over and over again. You need to be revisiting your expectations on a very consistent basis, especially at the beginning of the school year, because it doesn't just take a one and done time of learning those expectations that students know them right off the bat and can engage in those behaviors regularly in your classroom. So you wanna make sure that you're revisiting them. We teach reading, we teach letter identification, we teach sound identification over and over and over and over again in kindergarten and first grade. But for some reason, we feel like if we teach a behavior one time, that students should just know how to engage in that behavior. So make sure that when you're teaching your expectations, you're doing this several times, that you're doing it in different and fun and engaging ways with your students so that they are able to fully understand what the expectations are in your classroom. 
Again, I do plan on doing an entire series on classroom management and all of the different components of classroom management. And I think there's about eight episodes I have scheduled for that and classroom expectations as well as establishing relationships with your students will be their own episodes throughout that series. So make sure that you are looking out for those episodes and we'll go way more in depth with different strategies to set clear expectations as well as build relationships. But if your classroom management plan is not working, those are the two areas that I would focus on the most. So question number two is, what are your recommendations for new teachers going into a classroom that mainly is geared towards students who have behavioral needs? First, I want to say something that would apply to any new teacher or any teacher going into the field of education is have a self-care plan. Have a plan of how you're going to take care of yourself because teaching can be hard and we don't want to burn out. So make sure that you do have something in place that allows you to take care of yourself, set yourself some boundaries so that you are taking care of yourself and that you can last in this job for a very long time because our students need you. But if you are going into a classroom that does have a behavioral focus, the first thing that I would say is to build relationships with your students and parents from the start. So make sure that you are, again, building relationships with your students, but also with your parents. A lot of times parents of students who are in classrooms that have a lot to do with behavior get a lot of phone calls home. And you wanna make sure that when you're first establishing that relationship, it's very, very positive because you wanna build that positive parent communication with any of your parents so they know that you're not just going to call them every time their child has a bad day. No one wants every single phone call they get from the school to be about their child's bad day. They want to know about their successes and their good days and everything that they're working on and achieving in your classroom. And so start with that. Build a relationship by having constant communication with them so that if you do have to call them about a bad day or a behavior that their child engaged in, it's not that that's the only phone call that you've ever made to them. Make sure you really do establish that relationship with parents and so they do also feel that they can trust you with information about their child because we wanna know when there are changes to their mornings or changes to their day or there might be some changes in their life so that we can address those in the classroom and support the student in the classroom the best we can And that's not going to happen if you don't have a strong relationship with the parents. So not only build a relationship with the student, but also with the parents. And I mean, that advice can go with any teacher, but especially for teachers that are teaching students who do have some behavioral challenges because those parents have probably gotten a lot of phone calls over the years about their child's behavior. And you want to break that cycle. You want to be the teacher that is calling them with positive and good news about their child and their successes and their achievements so that they know that their child is so much more than the behaviors that they're struggling with in that moment. The next piece of advice I would have for you is read the behavior plans. I know at times some teachers can be hesitant about reading IEPs and behavior plans prior to meeting a student because they want to have a fresh start with the student. They don't necessarily want to get to know their student based on a piece of paper, but you have to read the behavior plans before those students ever walk into your classroom because you want to have the supports in place for them on day one. It will be so much more comforting for them to see continuity and the different strategies that were used previously already set up for them in that classroom so that they don't feel overwhelmed with the change in the new environments. That can be so overwhelming for some of our students. Having familiar systems and procedures in place right when that student walks through your door will be so much more comforting for them and will allow them to contact success right off the bat in your classroom. 
I do want to say that I 100% agree that students are so much more than the previous teacher's opinion of them, but I do want to say that by not reading their behavior plan prior to them coming into your classroom, it can be really, really hard for that student to adapt to so many changes at once that having some familiarity and some continuity from the previous years that will so help with that transition piece of entering into a new classroom and having a new teacher. My last piece of advice for you would be to have a very well thought out, intentional and systematic data collection system planned for yourself. Data collection can be so overwhelming, so having very systematic procedures and routines for yourself for collecting data is so essential. Speaking of that, question number three is tips for data collection for special education teachers. All right, so my number one tip for data collection is to make sure that the goals you're collecting data on are written so that you're taking quantitative data. Quantitative data at its basic form is the type of data that yields a numerical value. If you're taking qualitative data, then there is no numerical value attached to whatever qualitative piece of information that you are gathering. Quantitative data helps so much more when you're making database decisions, especially when you're taking data on behaviors. Qualitative data is great. A lot of times we get qualitative data from interviews or different types of assessments, but we really want to make sure that our IEP goals and our behavior plan goals are written in a way that we are receiving data in numerical form so that we can graph that data and make decisions about if we need to make adjustments to that intervention based on the direction of the behavior change. And you guessed it, I'm doing an entire episode on how to collect data in my systems and procedures for collecting data. But that's my very first tip, is to make sure that you're taking quantitative data as much as you can. Once you've identified what you're actually measuring, well, hold on, let me explain that a little bit more. Say you have a goal targeting the increase in use of coping strategies. At times, some people might be tracking the coping strategy that was used as opposed to something quantitative like the frequency or rate of coping strategy use and the duration of the use of those strategies. What I mean by that is, yes, it's important to know what type of coping strategy a student is using, but we need to go further than that. We can track the number of coping strategies used per day and how long they were using those strategies. We can also collect data on some sort of quantitative value of the undesired behavior, such as frequency or duration as well. Potentially, it's the frequency of tantrums that you're targeting. So that collective amount of data, frequency of coping strategies used, duration of how long those coping strategies are being used, frequency of tantrums, and then the type of coping strategy that is used, that gives you so much more information to make decisions off of than just the type of coping strategy that the student is using. Is it harder to collect quantitative data? Potentially, depending on if you have a system or not. If you have a system, then it should be pretty feasible. If you don't, you might struggle to get that amount of information for one goal. I know that's a lot of information to collect for one goal, but think about how many different decisions you can make just by having that information. You can see, okay, based on that, are tantrums decreasing? Is the amount of coping strategies they're using throughout the day, is that increasing? Is the duration of time they're using a coping strategy appropriate? If they're taking 20 to 30 minutes to engage in a coping strategy, we might need to reteach those coping strategies. We might need to see if we have to add extra interventions or supports so that they're not missing so much academic content. We can also see what type of coping strategies they're using. Should we focus more on explicit strategies and instruction on certain coping strategies because they're geared towards picking those strategies already. 
that will help you so much when it comes to making those decisions is having all of that information. And you guys, I've developed sound data collection systems over the years that makes data collection so easy. I plan on talking about this more in depth in the whole entire episode. And I also plan on talking about it on Instagram so you can see all of the visuals and different strategies I use for data collection so that it's feasible and easy for you. The next tip I have is to make sure that your data collection is mobile. I know a lot of people are moving towards electronic-based data collection systems, whether it's in any type of Google Sheet or Form or Excel Sheet, something along those lines. But when you're actually taking the data, I use Post-its. Seriously, I go through post-it after post-it after post-it after post-it collecting data. And I'm gonna show you how I do it, but you're gonna need to find a system that works best for you. But don't take data in that final electronic system. Take it on a post-it, take it on a piece of paper, take it on a clipboard. Make sure your data collection is mobile because what you want to do is take data whenever data-worthy moments happen. So another tip I have is don't set these data dates where you are pressuring yourself that I have to get data, I have to get data at this very point in time during this trial. Take data throughout the week. In reality, we should really be taking two to three data points for every single goal every week. So if you're training your brain to recognize different data moments where you can be tracking data for different goals and planning on taking data for multiple goals at the same time, then you are gonna infinitely increase the amount of time that you have in your classroom to work with students and decrease the stress you have around taking data. And this helps so much if your data sheets are mobile. I print out my data sheets on a clipboard and I have a post-it pad Velcroed to that clipboard for each and every one of my students. And then I have a laminated envelope on the back that I put the post-its in throughout the day so I don't lose those post-its. But guys, honestly, I take all of my data on post-its and then I transfer it to this little data book that I have for each of the students with a little graph on each of the data sheets as well. So I'm taking data on post-its, I'm putting it in the envelopes. At the end of the day, I'm quickly putting down the final data product on my booklet sheet that I have for each student, and then I'm graphing that point. So I can see in real time every single day where the direction of that behavior is going. Don't worry, I'll show you pictures of it and talk about it on Instagram because it's easier if you see how I have it set up with my clipboard and everything like that. But guys, this system is so easy. It takes all the stress out of collecting data and you get so much data if you're using a system like this. So in summary, for the data collection question, make sure that you're collecting quantitative data targets, you develop a system that works for you, and you make sure that you're graphing your data in real time so you can make those decisions right away if an intervention is working or not. You don't wanna get to the end of a nine week mark and see that you don't have the data that you need or that the behavior is not going in the direction that you want it to go and you could have made decisions about interventions so much sooner. All right, so I got a ton of questions along the lines of what are some strategies you have for students who engage in X behavior, right? Whatever behavior that might be, you fill in the blank. And it's really hard for me to say what you should do for a particular behavior because what you really need to do is identify the function of that behavior. Again, I don't want to say this for like the 1500th time, but I will be doing an entire episode on the different functions of behavior and then strategies you can use for each of those different functions because it's not necessarily strategies that you use for different behaviors, but strategies that you use for different functions. Once you've identified the function, you can identify a functionally equivalent replacement behavior that you can teach and shape your intervention around that function. 
But what I will say for any behavior that you might be struggling with in your classroom, you want to focus on teaching an alternative behavior to whatever undesired behavior you're seeing. So say you have a student who is calling other students names. Well, what you really want to do is identify a different behavior, a more appropriate behavior that student can be engaging in and teach them explicitly how to engage in that behavior. So like for the student who might be calling other students names, you might teach them appropriate social skills, the difference between kind and unkind things that we say to our friends, how to initiate and sustain a conversation with another student because they might not be able to do that and that's why they're engaging in some of this name calling or whatever it may be. So you want to identify a different appropriate behavior for that student and teach them that alternative behavior. This helps a lot when you already have the function established, but just to give you like tips on different behaviors that you might see in your classroom, you always want to identify a behavior that the student can be engaging in that's more appropriate and teach them how to engage in that behavior. More often than not, if a student is engaging in an undesired behavior, it's because they might not necessarily have the skill set to engage in the appropriate opposite of that behavior or the skill is not developed enough that they can engage in it on a consistent basis. Another question I got was, how do I teach my students to take breaks appropriately? Teaching students to use breaks appropriately is seriously one of my favorite interventions because it is so effective. But at the same time, it can be quite challenging to teach students how to utilize breaks appropriately in your classroom. So the very first thing that I start off with when teaching students how to use a break is I limit those breaks right off the bat. I don't give open-ended breaks or take as many breaks as you need because that can lead us down a path of a student taking breaks way too frequently and missing so much academic content or any other type of content in your classroom and then not being able to like wheel that back a little bit, draw that behavior back in and we can see more challenging behaviors arise because of that situation. So what I do is I take data on the number of behaviors that the student is engaging in that lead me to believe that they might need the opportunity for a break. So that might be that they're engaging in tantrums or maybe they're getting off task or something along those lines. I take some baseline data on how often that's happening throughout the day, maybe like three to five days worth of data so that I can get an average. So let's say on average, the student is engaging in four to five behaviors a day that would indicate to me, okay, this is when the student needs a break from this situation. And then I set the number of breaks for one or two more than that baseline data point. So again, if it's four to five times a day, then I might set it to six or seven breaks that they get. Because you always wanna give them a couple more breaks than that baseline data point because you want them to have the opportunity to engage in the breaks when they need to do it. And that baseline tells you, okay, right now on average, they're engaging in X amount of behaviors throughout the day so that they might need the opportunity to engage in one or two more breaks than that very baseline number. If you don't have that data, it's really important that you try and get some of that data so that you know how many breaks to limit to right off the bat. All right, so once you've identified how many breaks the student gets throughout the day, then it's time to teach the student how to actually take a break, right? So you want to teach procedures and systems around how do you indicate that you need a break? Are you giving them break cards? Are they putting some sort of symbol on their desk that allows you to know that they're taking a break? Are they signaling you something in some way that tells you that they're taking a break? So you develop a procedure around that. 
You also develop a procedure on what they're able to do during their break. Can they take a walk? Do they go to a designated area? Can they sit at their seat? Can they take out a pen and draw? Can they write in a notebook? Whatever their calm down choices are, you want to teach those calm down choices explicitly. And then you also want to teach the procedure for coming back to the classroom. So you might want to set a timer on that. You might want to set a special signal like, okay, when I feel calm, I signal this to my teacher and that means I'm re-entering the classroom and I'm ready to learn in some way. You teach the systems and procedures around how to initiate a break, what I'm allowed to do on that break, and then how do I end my break and re-enter into whatever activity or something that we are doing in the classroom. Once you've done that, then you want to teach the student how to manage their breaks. So say again that they have six breaks for the day. You might say, okay, so you get three breaks before lunch and then you get three breaks after lunch. Or you might say that you get a break after every hour in the classroom. Or you might say that you get a break, you know, two in the morning and four in the afternoon if you know that the afternoons are a little bit more challenging for them. Or you can say if it's like an older student or a student that you know can manage their breaks appropriately, you know, take the breaks as you need them. But once they're done for the day, they're done for the day. And then you'll have to wait to tomorrow to get all of your breaks back. This is where having a really strong relationship with your student will come into play because you'll know what works for them, what doesn't work for them, their personality and everything like that. So that can help you determine how you're going to teach them how to manage their breaks or how much structure you're going to have around those breaks so that the student is able to take their breaks to the best of their ability. The next step would be to take your data and see how is this working? Do we see an increase in those desired behaviors, the appropriate break? Do we see that they're able to calm their body effectively? Do we see that there is an increase in those desired behaviors and based on that data then you can start to fade out some of those breaks right so some things that I hear from teachers is well he can't keep taking seven breaks for the rest of the school year because he's missing academic content okay that's totally fine but once we've established that he can take these breaks and that we make that association between when I take a break engage in a calm down strategy I'm able to be more successful in the classroom once we build that contingency for that student we are going to see that they don't need as many breaks okay so we might start drawing back some of those breaks and making sure that we're tying it to a target that is pretty similar for the rest of the classroom. So maybe the teacher has already worked in three to four breaks throughout the day for the entire class. We want our new goal to be for this student that we're slowly fading out the number of breaks they get throughout the day to just those naturally occurring breaks that occur for everyone else in the class period. This will not only increase independence, but it'll also make sure that the student is still getting a break throughout the day so that they are able to calm their body. You know, all of us need a break at some point. So we just taught a student how to do it and we kind of overloaded, okay, you get all of these breaks throughout the day to make sure that your body is really ready to learn at any point in the day. And now we're gonna kind of slowly draw that back because we see that you've been so successful and we built their capacity to manage their behavior in our classroom. Building capacity is huge in our classrooms. Some of our students don't have the stamina to work as long as other students and might need a break throughout the day. So as we build their capacity, yes, they might need more than the other students in your classroom, but our goal will eventually be to kind of draw that back a little bit after we've built their capacity, after we've built their skills to more of those naturally occurring breaks that already occur in your classroom. All right, so the last question that I'm gonna answer for today because this episode is already getting somewhat long is, is my recommendations for behaviorally focused professional development books. 
the best, hands down, the best book you can buy for behavioral information is Ross Green's Lost at School book. I love that book, you guys. I've read it several times. I take notes in the book. I'm thinking about buying a second copy so I can take new notes in the book, but it walks you through so many different strategies of identifying different skills that a student might be lacking and how to teach those skills so that our students are more successful. It comes at it from a model of if we teach our students skills and build their capacity, they will be more successful than if we engage in some sort of like contrived punishment type philosophy where we're going to punish these behaviors and suspend students for engaging in behaviors that we don't want to see because that doesn't necessarily teach them any skills that they need to be successful in our classroom. So I love that book. It's a really, really easy read. If you're looking for something to read over the summer, I highly, highly suggest that book. He also has a second book, a part two of that book that I also recommend as well because that's just like another extension of the book. It gives you more examples from teachers that have utilized his procedures and practices and seen success with their students. So those are the books I recommend because those are very accessible by teachers. There are a couple of different ABA books that you can get if you are looking to understand behavior a little bit more, but at the same time, they are a little bit difficult to read. Like there is a book by the authors Cooper, Heron, and Heward that is called Applied Behavior Analysis. There's a third edition. The second edition is probably the cheaper one that you can find because they did just come out with a third edition recently. That book explains all the different behavioral principles and goes into in-depth reinforcement, punishment, consequences, just all of the different behavioral principles that go into play with our behaviors in our environments. But I will say it is a little bit difficult to read, especially if you aren't familiar with a lot of the terminology that is in the field of behavior analysis. So if you are looking to look for a book like that or you do want to read something like that, I would recommend the third edition. It is more of a textbook book than like a PD book. But I mean, I love the book. I love learning about behavior. I love all the nitty gritty details about behavior. So if you're someone like me that really likes to understand a concept, that is a good book to get. But I would definitely say to start with Ross Green's books and then go from there for sure. All right, that's all I have for you guys for this episode. I hope you hung around for all of those questions. And if you do have questions, make sure you go follow me over on Instagram at Teaching Behavior Together and send me a message. And if you did send me a message and I didn't answer your question, it is on the list for the next Q&A episode. So I will be answering all of your questions. And in the meantime, if you do have other questions, feel free to send me a direct message. I will do my best to answer it for you right then and there, but then also answer in a more in-depth way here on the podcast eventually when I'm doing another one of these episodes. And lastly, very exciting news. Next week is the very first episode of our classroom management series. So make sure that you are subscribed to this podcast so you are alerted when those episodes are released so that you can listen to them in order so that you are able to build a very well-rounded, structured classroom management plan for next year that will leave your classroom so successful and you enjoying everything that you do as a teacher day in and day out because you don't have to stress about classroom management anymore because we are covering it all in the next couple of episodes and I'm so, so excited. 
Thank you so much for listening. I really, really, really appreciate it, you guys. I love doing these podcasts. I love all the messages that I get from you guys saying that you learned something from the podcast or that you really enjoy listening to the podcast because, you guys, this brings me so much happiness and so much joy. I love talking about behavior all the time. I would do it every day, all day. I probably annoy people in my personal life when I talk about behavior, so I'm so glad I get to talk about it with you guys and that we are building this community of support around each other so that we are able to give each other ideas and different interventions and strategies that are effective for our students and it just brings me so much joy and I'm so grateful that you are listening to this podcast and I hope that it is helping you in some way and that you are getting some good information out of it because that is the whole goal for it. So have a good rest of the day.